I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and we took a slightly unexpected hiatus last week, um, but we are back to our regularly scheduled programming as of today. So as you know, every episode comes out on a Monday morning and um, I will be doing my best to keep to that schedule um, as we continue on. Now this week I am very excited to have kind of reunited with a friend um, to discuss all things about emotions, food and body image during COVID and yeah this was such a great chat with a great friend. So Maria Sosa is a therapist um, and her page on Instagram is called Holistically Grace and we connected through social media last year and we got to meet up when she was in London but she is actually based in Miami and so it was a real treat to get to sit down with her and chat about so much um, in terms of food, fitness, intuitive eating and an intuitive relationship with exercise. So we kind of covered so much in this episode um, with the underpinning of it all really about feeling our emotions and how that's really difficult and um, yeah kind of how we're both feeling and coping at this time and you know how important it is to to not suppress emotion and not and not bypass our emotions at this time so I really hope you enjoyed this episode I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Remember, do tag us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast using the hashtag Train Happy Podcast, and you can tag me as well at Tally Rye. I love to uh, see what your um, thoughts are about the episode, and I love to get your feedback. So, without further ado, let's get into the chat with Maria. So, welcome, Maria, to the podcast. Um, I should say. Uh, I've been on your park podcast and now I'm thrilled to have you as a guest. So Maria, please introduce yourself and uh, let us know how you are. Yeah, so my name is Maria Sosa. I am in Florida, United States of America. I'm originally from Venezuela. I am a registered marriage and family therapy intern, certified intuitive eating counselor, some nutrition stuff that I studied some there along the line and yeah how am I doing right now I'm hanging in there I'm making the best out of this quarantine situation and kind of understanding my body and food and nutrition and and being kind to myself I'm definitely doing that (laughs) but thank you so much for having me oh of course we were just having a really nice conversation before we were recording and I should have just hit record I should have just hit record um and I think, so I should give like context to this. Maria and I have met before in London. Um, that was last year, wasn't it? That was last year, that was yes. last year. But we were just saying that feels like five years ago because so much has happened since. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we connected through kind of having a similar journey with food and exercise. And um, Maria reached out and I'm so glad you did because... I am the biggest fan of your work. I should say I tell every person who ever messages me about anything 
therapy related or anyone wanting to kind of like dig a bit deeper into that stuff I'm always recommending your page um so if you don't follow Maria she is holistically dot grace is it it's just holistically grace yes okay so I don't know why I've got this no dot dot. in my mind it's holistically grace holistically yes, grace. it is uh-huh. I'll link that all below so everyone has it um and we were just having a really honest conversation about kind of how we were doing body image wise because um I posted on social media that it, this whole lockdown situation has been a roller coaster in terms of going into it feeling like had the body image stuff figured out and then still um going through periods of feeling discomfort in my body because I think like most people you know clothes aren't fitting like they did before and you know that's bothered me more than it has in a very long time and that's been very disorientating as you know you and I both consider ourselves to have done a lot of inner work on this stuff to have come really far and um yeah you mentioned you'd have been kind of um stuff had come up for you so I just wondered if you had any kind of thoughts about maybe your own journey and then also kind of just collectively how we're all kind of feeling right now yeah so I was mentioning that I had a lot of old thought patterns coming back in terms of the restricting and in terms of portion control and in terms of even a bit of that intermittent fasting thought pattern was coming back up where I would say well it's been so many hours since my last meal or I can't eat just yet and again it's so interesting because we've done the inner work you know this is something that we talk about every single day this is something that we've based our platforms upon and yet here we are and we're having these thought patterns and so it's really disappointing quote unquote to see that these things are kind of coming back up but as we were just talking about we've never dealt with a world pandemic we've never dealt with quarantine and having to fear for our lives essentially and and being stuck at home and being told that we can and cannot do this so I don't think that we've ever been really truly prepared for what has happened over the last couple of months, especially as it relates to our food. So there's really no way for us to be down on ourselves and kind of saying, I should have dealt, I've dealt with this before and I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I shouldn't be thinking this way. No, we've changed the context. Our world has changed. And so now we're just adjusting to that. Now we're just trying to figure out who we are in the context of this pandemic and who we are in the context of quarantine as it relates to our body image and as it relates to our eating. So can I say that, yes, I've been having all these thought patterns? Yes. And can I also say that I've adjusted and said, "Eh, I see you and this isn't going to be helpful. And how can I best nourish myself and be kind to myself when it comes to my body, right? And, and where do I go from here? So kind of understanding that we've never dealt with this before. So it's not the same thing as saying, I've, you know, back to my old self. No, this is a whole new self within a whole new world. So let's make sure that we're kind to ourselves during this time and to understanding whatever is coming up for us because we've never dealt with it before. And I'm sure that that's kind of the same of what you were feeling right yeah and I think I think so much of the world feels like it's shifting Mm -hmm. that it's just for me whether it's a body image stuff or just in general I feel like there feels like a lot of uncertainty right now and you know I feel like maybe everyone came into 2020 in general like 
we're getting our flow. We're just, we're hitting our stride. Everything's, you know, lining up. We've, we've figured it out. We've, you know, whether that is a body image thing, whether that's a food thing, whether that's just a life thing in general. Mm. And I just feel a little bit, not even a little bit. I just feel knocked off balance. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I just feel a bit off balance and, um, you know, it's, and I think even in more recent weeks with, um, the, the kind of upsurge and discussion around Black Lives Matter, anti-racism work as well. I think adding that into it as well, because I feel like that's such a strong movement and, um, you know, with all these kind of thoughts and, you know, I feel like that has really challenged the way we think about things, we view things, we behave and all of that, you know, is um, throwing us out of our usual stride. And, you know, I I think in some ways for the better, but there's still that transitional discomfort that I feel like I'm in right now where it's like, I not hundred percent sure what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of, yeah, played out with body image stuff. Um, and even with just kind of, for me, I think work related things, because I think even though we do like fitness and you're doing um, like therapy, we're still quite creative without, with the output of content we put out. And I feel like, I don't know, for me, that's harder at the moment. Oh my goodness. I've had to take so many breaks from social mm. media over this time frame because I can't, I'm having a really hard time emotionally regulating myself. And that means that I have much less energy to be creative. I have much less energy to engage, to write. And so, you know, I think a lot of people have felt a lot of pressure to be the best version of themselves, to write a book, to get on that workout, to do that diet, which we know is not what we want to be doing at this time, but there's all this pressure. And genuinely, so many of us are just trying to survive. You know, like my energy is really low I'm not feeling all that great and I I'm just trying to eat I'm trying to hydrate I'm trying to make sure that I have connection that I get outside and right now creatively speaking it's not my best moment and I think that I have to be okay with that so that I can take care of the basics at the moment yes and I just totally resonate with that um totally resonate with that and what are for you what for you are the kind of basics? What is that kind of basic level of self-care? Whether it's something, is this a personal thing or is this a professional thing that you recommend to clients and things like that? Oh, both. So it's funny because most of the things that I write or that I share through my Instagram are reminders to myself. So Mm. a lot of the things that I write, I'm thinking, okay, Maria, don't forget (laughs) to do this as well. And it's also helpful because if you're, sharing this information with other people and you're not taking it into consideration for yourself, it creates a bit of a cognitive dissonance for you, right? And you're Mm -hmm. saying, do these things or focus your energy on this or shift from this to that. And then you see that you yourself are not doing it. That kind of puts you in check and says, "Mm -mm, you cannot be sharing this information without putting yourself first and saying, check in what's going on. And some of those basics are really, really basic. And that is 
sleep is one of the biggest ones. So I found myself staying up really late at night, binging lost because I That's had a classic. time, right? It it's a classic. classic. I, ne I never <laughs> watched it. <laughs> I never watched it. So I thought this is the perfect time. We're all lost. So I'm going to start watching lost. And so I found myself staying up until three in the morning, just continuously watching TV. And then I wasn't getting the full rest that I needed because I was still waking up around seven or eight. I'm, I'm very much like clockwork. And so I was not getting the sleep that I needed. I was very low on energy. And so it was, okay, there's a time frame for lost and it's not until three in the morning and you have to put a stopper on this. Another thing that I stopped doing was checking my, the news every morning. And that was something that was so helpful for my mental health because every morning I would get up and I would check the news and it was the same thing repeated 20 times over by different media channels. And it created a lot of anxiety for my body and for my mind frame. And it just sent me down a spiral. So my days were either positive or negative, depending on the news that I read. So if it was the vaccine is... Uh, not going to be ready until next year or you know who knows when then it was this is terrible and you know there's no point in even doing anything today i'm just going to stay in bed and if the news was something along the lines of cases are decreasing and things are looking up then it was a good day right so how interesting that just depending on the news that we were receiving it impacted my whole day so limiting information limiting the time that i was spending on tv drinking water. I just wasn't doing it. It just was one of the things that there were so many other things in the nothingness even that seemed more important than drinking water and eating properly. Even as I was having these restrictive thoughts, it was a reminder to myself, you need to eat. You need to eat and you need to make sure that you're getting everything that you need without being restrictive because chances are if you're not eating properly, you're more likely to get sick right? Your immune mm. system is, is probably not going to function the best way that it can. If you are constantly obsessing and worrying about food, you've been here before, you've had digestive problems because of your food anxiety. So you know this, you know this. So reminders and yeah, just, oh, and spending time outside. I think that was one. And I know that this was not everybody's experience because depending on where you are in the world, you may be living in an apartment or you may be living in a place that's really hard to get outdoors right but I was very lucky and very blessed to have a backyard and there was a lake in our backyard so I was able to mm. do and, and able to take walks in the neighborhood so those were the basics again that were really helpful for me and that I know that are helpful for everybody it's definitely uh, a generalization that is useful for all yeah definitely I, I think we kind of I think that point about taking on so much information, I think for me as well, I've had to, I had to like limit, I, I had to delete like Twitter for a while and then I completely came on social media. Um, I find Twitter particularly infuriating and stressful. Um, I don't I've know if never been it. on it. No, oh. never been on it. <laughs> Good for you because sometimes it's great and then other times everyone just is shouting and regardless of whether you agree with them or not it's just all noise and it's a lot of information it's very overstimulating even more so than Instagram or anything like that and um that was had to be deleted because um 
and yeah and like watching the news had to stop watching that it would like if I it would make me cry and then that was it the day was stressful and it was done yeah, yeah it was just done it was just worthless yeah. and it was pointless what the sense of hopelessness has been so difficult and then also man I work with anxiety and I work with depression and I work with you know, a lot of mental mm. health issues, but I don't think I had ever experienced this much anxiety in my life. You know, just the tightness of the chest and just feeling it everywhere by waves and waves of anxiety. And so while it was not something that I enjoyed, I will be honest, but it's something that will help me in the future to better understand others that are dealing with anxiety and my own emotional processing. That's another thing that I came into into the light <laughs> during this time I'd been blocking so many emotions because I was in the flow of being busy I was working on this and working on that and then there was all this stillness there was nothing to do but work on yourself and work on the emotions that I had been bearing for so many years so that came up as well during this time same <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yes totally and you know, I, I saw a friend um, recently and sh she'd had a very similar experience. All these things that we've been keeping ourselves preoccupied and busy from and um, distracted with, we're actually just having to sit and face the tough stuff that we haven't wanted to acknowledge and haven't wanted to think about because it's hard and painful and difficult. And, um, you know, we don't want to, and I, I want to talk about that because you've done work recently and I wonder if it is in relation to this about emotional bypassing as a term mm -hmm. and saying ways that we um, emotionally bypass ourselves. And so I think it's important for you to say why it's important to acknowledge our emotions and how, you know, the processing emotion and um, why we shouldn't be afraid to feel sad and feel the highs and the lows um and then ways we stop ourselves from from feeling those things through bypassing yeah so let me say that emotional bypassing is easy in the sense that our culture really likes us to emotionally bypass you know our society very much likes to tell us to toughen up it likes to tell us to not cry it likes to tell us that be grateful. You shouldn't be so upset or you shouldn't be so emotional about this. Other people really have it worse than you. So be grateful for what you have and acknowledge this and just move along, right? So there's this constant push to just move along, to just get it together, to busy ourselves as well. You know, so a lot of the coping mechanisms that we have are, we'll just throw yourself into work or go to the gym and work it out right? So there's very rarely this push for just sit, like just sit with yourself. Even that just sounds so weird. What do you mean sit with myself? What do I do when I sit with myself or journaling? I don't want to journal my feelings. I don't want to go down that path and I don't want to get involved. No, 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 no. And I get it because it's painful. I, I get that we don't want to do any of these things because it's really uncomfortable because it feels like that tightness in our chest because it feels like releasing all those tears and letting it all out and being our most vulnerable self with ourselves. And the easiest way to go about that is to just ignore it, to just keep pushing that down and 
emotionally bypass, right? So just skip over the emotions. And would you say in some ways, I, people also talk about like numbing as well. So like whether mm-hmm. that's through drinking too much, um, people might say that we numb with food, we can numb with exercise, we can numb through busyness. Um, and all of those ways are things that in some ways, like it feels, see, here's the thing for me, it feels that, as you said, society is kind of set up for us to emotionally bypass. It is set Mm -hmm. up for us to numb with stuff. Um, it, you know, I feel like the world doesn't want us to sit at still and acknowledge our feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're meant to be productive and we're meant to be, um, you know, maintaining a certain social life and all these things kind of all kind of build up and build up and build up and mean that we don't ever really create space to, you know, to sit still. And when you said about, yeah, just sitting still with the emotions, you know, I'm 30 this year and only in the last few months has it occurred to me. Have you turned 30 already or no? No, later this year, later this year. Okay, okay. Happy (laughs) pre-birthday. Thank you. (laughs) And it kind of occurred to me like, oh, uh, you're not meant to just keep going all the time. Like it's Mm -hmm. actually very important to sit still. And this is a very new realization for me that I've been trying trying to implement and yet it's the hardest thing to implement ever um, over the kind of last few months because I realized that since leaving school you know the last decade I have literally not stopped Mm -hmm. to process anything um but that's because I saw the people around me not stopping to process anything I didn't have any role models of people who dealt with their emotions everyone around me were you know it was like the hustle the grind keep busy like this new Mm -hmm. workout plan this new food thing this new thing and um you know I've done it all and now mm-hmm. I'm, f- this is what I love about social media. I'm following pages like yours that are challenging me to like, you need to slow down and you need mm-hmm. to take stock and actually reflect on this stuff. So how can we slow down? How can we, the billion dollar question, how can we process our emotions? How can we do that? Yeah, so one of most basic ways that I think that we even forget sometimes because we don't think about it is our breathing and we forget you know Mm. that we are going through a lot of things and that even our breath is a huge connection to ourselves right so just the fact that we are able to be in a moment with our breath that we're able to experience the air coming in and out of our lungs and in through your nose and out through your mouth, right? That is essentially a connection with your body, literally seeing or feeling how your body is functioning. Grounding is another thing that has been really helpful for me as well. And that is being in touch with senses, being in touch with where the floor is hitting the bottom of your feet or where I'm sitting right now in this chair, how is that holding me up or how is that, you know, creating um, a sort of support for myself? And so I think that we always need to start with that body connection, right? Because sometimes we think about our feelings and we think about all these floaty things that are going around in my head, but feelings start off as emotions because emotions are the body's way of communicating with us. So 
as we are looking around the room and our periphery, our whole body's picking up on things. And those are the emotions that are first experienced by our body. So is that fear? Is that excitement? Is that joy, happiness, right? So kind of getting to the basics of that. Where is this sitting on my body? What am I feeling in my stomach? The temperature, you know, are my hands sweaty? So kind of getting to really basics of that. What is this emotion in my body, right? Mm. Getting there first and then kind of going and, and moving forward from there. So I'm feeling this. Why am I feeling this? Does this remind me of another time where I've also felt out of control? Does this remind me of somewhere down in my childhood where I had a similar experience and this is how I reacted and this is how I felt? So naturally, this is probably what's going to come up for me. So understanding that it's twofold so that it's how we experience it in our body and then how we process it through our mind and in our feelings. And do you think that's why this kind of lockdown time, the last few months where we have had to just sit and for me, I felt a lot of physical discomfort because Mm -hmm. I've actually had to like be in my body because I've got nowhere else to go, you know, through that distraction. I've got nowhere else to go. (laughs) And it's like, this is, you know, it's, it's hard. Like, I really don't want to tell people like, you know, just work on your emotions and stuff. Like it's some of the most challenging stuff I've done. And I feel also that, um, it's hard for me personally, as a, um, quote, positive person in my previous life, I'm going to say that. I was just going to say that. Yeah. As my, you know, just, I was very, very like, other people have it worse, think on the bright side, this is very much to myself, but you know, you know, you really, you can't complain, you have a great life, da 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 um, I invalidated so much of my own feelings and so much of my own experience, mm-hmm. um, so there's, for me, the stuff that I have to deal with, I think, and a lot of what people, I think, suppress is the sadness, is the, the, the low, the feeling of feeling low. Like, that's very alien to me. It's yes. very alien for me to feel down. Um, and that I am kind of learning that that's not me feeling down isn't a bad thing. It's just being human. Mm-hmm. I just never was being a full human before. I was only allowing myself to be a positive human rather than a full human, you know, and feel all those things. Um, and so there's a physical side with that. And mm-hmm. then you, I think, mentioned previously with having um, indigestion issues and, you mm-hmm. know, and for me, I think there's been a physical side to my emotions for the last decade. So to put it in context, I lost my dad when I was 17. And so for though since then, like I said, nearly 30 hadn't really processed that, hadn't really dealt mm. with that. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I have to deal with. And I think of all the times back in my, this, like I said, that that time span since, and I've had on and off issues with my gut health and all this stuff. And for me, I joined the dots and I realized that that was my emotion having nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And it was my body saying like, please acknowledge this, please acknowledge this. And now I'm acknowledging it and it's still uncomfortable <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's hard. Some days you just want to be low and sad and other days you, it's not like that every day, but, mm-hmm. um, things have been better in recent weeks, but you know, if a month ago I was just really like, you know, just low and 
not you know quote myself yeah but it's like understanding that that is myself and that is part of me uh-huh. and it's like I'm not like it's like I'm not a 2d person you know I'm there's more facets and I think that's what's been hard I'm just nodding away because I feel you on so <laughs> many levels this idea of I was just being my happiest self not my whole self that's mm-hmm. it I never allowed myself to feel negativity quote-unquote I never allowed myself to feel that sadness it just wasn't something that I allowed myself to do because I'm just happy I'm a happy individual what do I have to be sad about right and and it's funny that you mentioned that it's related you know your story to your dad and my father suffers from depression and I've seen him in some very deep depressive moments growing up and I must have mentioned this in one of the podcasts that I did but it was this idea of seeing him this really low and very sunken place that I internalized somewhere along the line that this is what sadness does to you. It destroys you. It puts you in this place that you just cannot even function. So be a happy individual, look at the positive side of things and don't, don't be that, don't be your dad. Right. So Mm. that was, it went a, a bit deeper. And so I internalized that and it was always happy, 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 happy. And now that I've had this time and I've been really sad it's the saddest that I've ever been in my life and it was very uncomfortable and so rewarding so Mm -hmm. rewarding to see myself capable of feeling all this sadness of carrying that and continuing right look at Mm -hmm. what I did I felt this sad and I got up the next day right I I did survive this moment and again this is you know he suffers from depression and he takes medication and that's you know clinical depression is very different than like dealing with your sadness and what I was going through so I don't want to diminish that but I want to say that we're so capable of handling these difficult emotions we really Mm. really are and yeah and like I I just want to reiterate like I feel like my lowest point was probably a month ago and mm-hmm. things have been the slow trajectory up from there. And, yeah. you know, there may be low points in the future, but I feel like, you know, yeah. a corner has been turned maybe a little bit. And that feels good. It feels, and like you said, like, I know I can handle it. You know, I know mm-hmm. I can do it now. So, mm-hmm. um, and also I think the biggest learning curve I've kind of had as well is rather than waiting 10 years to process stuff, if I just cry about it now, it's going to be less of a load to deal with further down. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not, it's not like a something that keeps being compounded and compounded and growing and growing. Yes. It's like, you know, just something I just need to deal with in the moment mm-hmm. more and allow myself to feel that in the moment rather yes. than, like I said, waiting to breaking point, which I think is what so many of us have just learned to do. Just mm-hmm. um, that is the, the culture to do that. Yeah, just keep going, just push through it, just just keep mm-hmm. swimming, right? And although that's helpful and that's resilience, right? We, we do need that push, we do need that. Let's keep going and let's move along because it's how we get through things. It's, it's within us as humans to continue to survive. Mm-hmm. But, or not but, and, because that's one of the things that we have to make sure that we understand, continue forward, be resilient and also acknowledge the heaviness of it all and sit and have that cry and sit and journal about what you're feeling and go to therapy and call a friend 
and listen to a podcast that is helpful for you. So there's so many things that we can do while we're being resilient, while we are continuing forward. You know, we're multifaceted humans. We can do so many things. So can we push through and be present with ourselves and with our emotions? Yes. Yes, we can. Mm. And so obviously this being the train happy podcast, I want to talk about yeah. how that does relate. Like let's get, apply what we've been discussing to our kind of focus on food and fitness, because yes. I think, um, well, I probably should have asked you earlier, but I would love you to kind of just share a little bit of your story and how you ended up working in, um, doing intuitive eating and more of like haze based therapy. Um, yeah. and then how we can, think about all of this stuff in terms of like dealing with our emotions and how that impacts our relationship with fitness and food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my personal story, I think is quite similar to yours, Tally, because I remember you telling me yeah. on my podcast and it began as this, this was right as I was doing my master's in marriage and family therapy. And I started watching a documentary on Netflix. I'm not going to mention which one, but we know that a few of them are very problematic because they paint very interesting and one-sided pictures. And so I said to myself, okay, I need to start taking care of my health and I need to make sure that I am in my best and optimal moment of my life. And that means I have to figure out what I'm going to eat and be more careful and possibly juicing is this juicing thing what i'm supposed to be doing okay well i'm going to go down that path and we're going to buy the juicer and read this book and read all that and the more that i started going down that path of making sure that i was being the cleanest being the most perfect eater that i could possibly be that i was the epitome of health the more anxious i became about food about the way that I was eating, about the way that I was exercising, and also making sure that I told everybody around me that what they were doing was wrong and that what I was doing was the best thing in the world, right? So it wasn't only internal, it, it definitely extended into my family, into my friends, and my outside world. And interestingly enough, the more that I started emphasizing this perfect eating the more that i worked on being the cleanest person the harder it became for me to one enjoy my food and enjoy eating and not experience digestive problems right after i was eating so i'd be having a smoothie some sort of kale-ness sort of concoction <laughs> concoction of sorts there's always kale in there somewhere yeah. right <laughs> um right after I was done eating I feel my stomach kind of getting filled up with gas and very gassy and very gassy and again if I'm eating all these green and healthy foods what's going on okay well then that means I have to eat even healthier I have to be even more restricted because there's something missing right it doesn't make sense for me to be eating these things and to be having digestive problems so again that led to more restriction and more restriction and nothing really changed you know, there was just these digestive problems. I went and got tested for, um, what are those things? Like food allergies and anything that, you know, gluten allergens and all that kind of stuff that they do. And everything came back fine. You know, there was literally nothing 
wrong with my digestion. And so I thought, well, then this is just me, right? So I gave up and I said, I'm eating the cleanest version of everything. I'm having these digestive problems. This is just my life. This is it. I give up. This is this is what I have to deal with. And Alka-Seltzer will save my life because that's what I used to drink all the time to, to get through my digestion. And then I will always think, social media for this because social media pretty much saved my relationship with food and my digestion and i came into contact with a person who's now a friend who was talking about intuitive eating she had dealt with anorexia and she just shared the concepts and kind of started posting things about it and I bought the book, started reading it, did everything that, you know, the 10 principles are based upon and started healing my relationship with food, stopped restricting, stopped labeling food good or bad and understanding that my body was probably not in a place that it was meant to be in terms of size and in terms of weight because of everything that I was restricting. And within a matter of two months, my digestive problems were gone. And these are problems that I had for years, right? So two years or so. And within a matter of two months, they were gone because I became less strict with my eating and because I wasn't worried about being a perfect eater. So for me, there was a huge not even a correlation. It was literally start this and see that this is what was going on. Right. And then I started listening to some podcasts. I think it was on Christy Harrison. I think she had Marcy. I forget her last name, but she's, she's called Marcy Marcy RD. Yes. That's it. Uh huh. And she was talking about how a stressed out mind can lead to a stressed out gut. Right. So this correlation Mm -hmm. between mind and gut and mind health and which is something that I've always preached, but I didn't think that it had anything to do with my digestive problems. Right. I just was somehow not in the picture of this and my digestive problems had nothing to do with that. And so it just became so evident that I was so stressed out that I was so overly anxious about my food and becoming this clean eater that it created the digestive problems for me. So once I saw that I myself had been a victim to this diet culture, then it became this, well, if I went through this, that means that other people are going through this. And this is how I want to help, right? This is how I want to make sure that I'm passing this information along. I want to help other people like me and I want to learn more about this. And so I started getting into health at every size and then body respect and body kindness. So kind of reading all the books that are in our little niche that I absolutely love. And it just, it made so much sense to me. It fit with my way of thinking. Scientifically speaking, it makes sense, right? So there's all the studies to back all this information up. It's not that we're just coming up with this information out of nowhere. The science is there. It is all there. We just have this culture that decides to focus on diets and the fitness industry has kind of hijacked the actual idea of health into looking quote unquote healthy. Mm. And yeah, I think as you said, when I discovered like intuitive eating as well, just all the pieces of the puzzle just started to go together. Like, Oh, this is, this is why, um, uh, you know, I've experienced my gut issues and, and, you know, I was watching, I, th- I think it was like a little while ago now I saw a TikTok from a huge fitness influencer and she was saying like I get bloated when I eat 
all these foods so I don't eat them. You know, surprise, surprise, the foods were, were um, things like chips, crisps, um, I think like cookies and stuff like that. So stuff that are traditionally not deemed, quote, healthy, but yes. on this podcast, everything's neutral. Yes. But, you know, all those foods, it was surprising why they, they happen to make you feel bloated. And the only things that didn't make you feel bloated were like, fruit and vegetables it's really interesting and I kind of I made a little response to this video and just said well interestingly enough I've tried doing all of that and it didn't solve the bloating anyway and the one thing that solved the bloating for me was eating enough not stressing about what I was eating and um then processing my emotions and actually (laughs) like that's that is um I think there's particularly within the fitness space and the nutrition space i think people love to just immediately point the finger at what they're eating mm-hmm. and always always instantly blame whatever you're eating on food and and if you're feeling discomfort if you're feeling bloating like the automatic response is to cut things out and whilst i know that that is certainly valid for some people and you know through guidance of a dietitian then you may have to um you know cut things out but i think on the whole I think just stress and anxiety and you know like you said that does play out in the gut and um that does impact you know how our bodies are just digesting the food we eat and if we're labeling foods as good and bad and healthy and unhealthy and um then we ourselves are also internalizing those labels yes. right so when we eat those foods now we're unhealthy and now we are bad right so mm. like, what does that do to our sense of steam what does that do to our sense of worth based upon the foods that we're eating and i also want to mention that when i went to the doctor telling them that i had digestive issues all they talked about was the things that i was eating right so mm. again back to your point of we always go to the food at no point was anybody asking me if I was stressed out. At no point was anybody asking me if I had lost a family member and I was going through grief mm-hmm. or if this was a particularly difficult time for me in my relationship. There was nothing psychologically related to any of the questions that they were asking me. They were going straight to the food. And that is a detriment to our whole system that if it's all related, right, it's, it's all put together in our brain as well. Why are we not asking these kinds of questions that are so clearly there? And that's why I hope just having these conversations might just make someone go, oh, I haven't asked that question before. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about it that way before. Um, Yes. Because, yeah, like I wish I'd heard that sooner. (laughs) I wish I'd heard that sooner. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really interested in, like we said about how we're not dealing with our emotions and using things to be busy and, you know, be productive and all those things that the world glorifies, particularly social media glorifies, I think, um, through our relationships with food and exercise and, um, how we, you know, is there a fine line between genuinely loving exercise, wanting to do it and enjoy it regularly? Maybe people are really regular runners, for example, versus, you know, in the example of running, like literally running away from our emotions and, Mm. you know, using that as, you know, a coping, it's, it's a a coping tool that has become overused. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree that it is. Can we use, can we use fitness as a coping tool? Yes, we definitely can. And sometimes it's a numbing kind of thing as well. And so somebody had 
commented on the recent post that I made about food and how food is sometimes a coping mechanism. And somebody said, I've been working to exercise when I feel like using food as a coping mechanism. And so I responded and I said, I want to make clear and I want to make sure that you're exercising for reasons that are enjoyable to you, that are for reasons that make you feel good about yourself and that you're not one, not processing everything that's going on with these coping mechanisms or um, making sure that you're just working out as a way to look differently, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the reasons that we utilize exercise as well. I want my body to look a certain way. So I'm going to work out in this way. So kind of like all jumbled up together, this idea that yes, if we utilize exercise as a way to bypass our emotions, then we're just creating another problem for ourselves, right? Because now we're still, it, it is a healthy coping mechanism because, you know, we're not utilizing drugs or we're not hurting other people along the path. And this is something that is good for our health, physically speaking, but there is very much that fine line that you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. How can we make space for both? How can we have a time to work out and enjoy our bodies and move in a way that is training happy? And how can we mm -hmm. be enjoyable or, you know, joyful movement? How can we have that joyful movement and also know that that's still not emotionally processing? That mm. is just a moment, but mm. that isn't us processing our emotions. Yeah. And sometimes we need that coping mechanism because we're not able to process the emotion. So for example, I had a very difficult emotion that, you know, I was having, oh, I noticed during quarantine that I needed to work out to physically release the anxiety that I was feeling in my mm. body, right? There was nothing that was really helping and I needed that physical release from my body that was only happening through sweating, through running and, and kind of understanding that. Um, but that was an emotional processing. The emotional processing was happening while I was getting home and processing and writing down and understanding all those, all those things, right? So sometimes we do need the exercise to release that extra energy, the extra stress. And that's twofold right? So you've got that and you've got this emotional component and we have to make sure that we have both or else we're just not getting the benefits of it all together. Yes. And I, like I vividly, there was one, one particular time when I was feeling the most discomfort, like I mm -hmm. said, this time period and, and I went on a run and it was like, it really helped. It really helped for like mm -hmm. maybe a few hours to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then, I, and then I have to process again. But it's yes. like, I just needed a, I just needed, I needed a break. I needed a mental mm -hmm. break for a little bit just to like switch up to then revisit yeah. that stuff. Yes. But I think I also didn't have, I also think I'm at the point now where I'm not under the illusion that the run will solve the issue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like you said it perfectly. The uh -huh. run's going to help. The run's going to help me feel stronger to deal with this. Yes. Like or it prepares you. It right? prepares you. Yes. But it's not it's not solving the issue. Yes. It's, yeah. Just, just helping me feel physically, mentally stronger to, to actually tackle the bigger issues. And another yeah. thought I had while you were speaking as well about, I wonder if the reason we focus on the changing the external so much as a way to cope is because we're not ready to deal with mm -hmm. the internal. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's easier. It's easier to try and get muscle definition than it is yes. to to cry. Mm-hmm. Emotional definition is hard. <laughs> muscle yes. definition takes, you know, it's easy to control as well, right? So going mm-hmm. back to this idea of control, you know, you're able to write up a workout plan of like these many sit-ups or these many squats or whatever, you know, you can do that logically. But emotionally speaking, sometimes we don't even have the ability or the capacity to do it because we weren't taught how to do it. Mm. We have no idea how to sit down because our caregivers didn't model that for us, Mm. right? So it's also difficult if we just really don't know how to do it. So that's a really important component. Thank you for kind of leading us down this path. We don't all have the same skills. We We don't have that emotional coach or that little workout plan that we can write up for ourselves to kind of process all these things because it takes a lot of intelligence and a lot of that is passed down from our caregivers so if our caregivers are not able to guide us to self-soothing if they're not able to show us how to sit with the discomfort if they're not if they didn't allow us to cry as children and, and that was something that was normal it may be very difficult for us to do it as adults. Mm, Yes. And I think, you know, there's, yeah, I think so many people, I think it's also a very like British thing, that whole like keep calm Mm -hmm. uh, discussion is very much of that. So we're, we are very much like, we don't know how to, I mean, um, (laughs) <laughs> it's ended up basically being most of my family is in therapy at this point and <laughs> I love it I'm sure they, were, they won't mind me saying that but um yeah it's really interesting because you know my mom's like I don't know how to, to describe my emotions I don't mm-hmm. have a vocabulary my mom's the mm-hmm. biggest reader she loves books loves books she speaks uh three languages she is a linguist that's what she does she's brilliant and she's like, I don't know how to describe my emotions. I don't know mm-hmm. how I'm feeling because I never knew that. And because that's of a generation and then her parents are of a generation that certainly didn't acknowledge their feelings. So, um, you know, even now this can feel all a bit, um, I think for some people this feels like a bit woo, like a bit like, wow, you know. It is woo woo. It's like, what? Like, what is all this stuff going on? And I was yeah. actually just thinking of this. There's a book which I have not yet read, but I heard about it on Brene Brown's podcast mm-hmm. and it's called Permission to Feel. And I feel like I've heard about that too. And I would like, to, already I'm sold. I will probably order it on Amazon today. Yes, 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 yes. So it's unlocking the power of emotions to help our kids, ourselves and our society thrive. So when I heard him speak, there was this idea of, again, there's no words to describe these emotions, right? So how do I deal with this? And I love words. And it's so interesting that your mom is the linguist and she has mm-hmm. all these things and is having such a difficulty with these emotions. I don't have any way to, to express these. So maybe that's something that could be useful, but um, it's just, it's so, so wild that we have so much knowledge of so much in the world. And when it comes to our emotions and when it comes to how we process them, we're just at a loss, you know? Mm. It's so interesting. And another thing I wanted to talk about, with you, I mean, there's so many things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing I wanted to talk about with you is um, the idea of also how 
within that relationship with food and exercise, particularly when we're using it, like I said, to bypass emotions, to control stuff. For me, it's very, it's a, it's an easy thing for me to control. And, you know, if I can just control what I eat and how I exercise, then, you know, something bad isn't going to happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the way my brain works. Um, yeah. And it still works that way. I'm just learning to let, feel less controlling but I still want to control everything but I can't yes. um and I want to know how also that perfectionism ties in because this kind of comes up a lot with like disordered relationships with food and fitness and I think there's a lot of um perfectionism in kind of the fitness space whether that's having the perfect body um mm-hmm. or having the perfect fitness routine um uh, making the perfect food you know for me in kind of the height of my kind of disordered relationship with food for me it was about posting perfect in pictures of food like the food I presented was very Instagram neat and perfect and very Instagrammable and you know I've said this before half one of the ways I kind of had to unlearn this stuff was to like literally eat like ugly food on a plate and allow myself Mm. to not eat things a, allow myself to not eat things that were pretty and B, not show anyone what I was eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a new social media thing. I think that's brought a new dimension into how we relate to food and how that perfectionism plays out with that. But I'm just really intrigued as to your thoughts on it. Yeah. So perfectionism is also a coping mechanism and mm-hmm. it's one of those very much socially rewarded coping mechanisms, right? We really thrive of this idea of perfection. Everything that we do has to be perfect. And especially when it comes to our eating and to our bodies, this is what we see in social media. And I remember, I think I talked about perfectionism and this need to control again. So that, that goes with this, right? So if Mm -hmm. I control, I am safe. If I am perfect, then I am safe. And also this idea of being worthy of love. I think that kind of also Mm -hmm. ties into it as well. This idea of perfection is, is love. It is being accepted. It is being praised, right? So we want to be praised. It's very much a human desire to be praised and to be acknowledged so we get acknowledged when we do things perfectly and that can all relate to our eating because it's one of the things that our culture very much highly values being this healthy perfect eater right you're definitely mm. going to get rewarded from your family from your peer groups and I remember that's one of the things that I based my whole identity on right this perfect eater and people would say oh maria you're just so healthy look at you eating your green smoothies and that fueled my perfectionism and it fueled this idea that this is how you should be eating because look at all the great and amazing compliments that i was getting from my perfect eating you know everybody wanted to be like me and that was my identity so it was hard to let go of that identity but i'm glad you know like there's so many other Um, things that I focused my energy and my time and kind of understanding that that's just another byproduct of diet culture and and all the things that that are pushed upon us, but they're definitely related. You know, there's definitely this perfectionism or perfection in our eating and in our working is just a a branch of this Mm. coping mechanism of of perfection. It's an added layer. Yes, Mm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I I think 
yeah, I, you know, I, I can see perfectionism in terms of, um, you know, having to, if it's in like a work sense, you know, having mm-hmm. to like, maybe like put out a lot of work, have a high output and mm-hmm. also, um, you know, just try and, you know, be a high achiever, whether it's mm-hmm. like getting good grades or, um, you know, trying to get, be seen as like the best at your job, the best in the office, yeah. all those things kind of relate to that. Um, and I think these personalities as well and these ways of being in the world are also prime personality traits for someone who has disordered eating, which mm. could turn into an eating disorder, right? Because if mm. you are being a perfectionist in your work, if you are being a perfectionist in different areas of your life, we're trying to be that way, then it becomes really easy to be a perfectionist in your eating as well. I mean, you're already primed for that behavior. And now you're just trying to people please Mm. through the lens of eating and through the lens of exercise right Mm. and I think you know we've kind of mentioned diet culture before and I think maybe if we're asking ourselves a question like so but why why are we always turning to food and fitness to be perfect at it like why is that the coping mechanism and why is that and I do think that is you know that is largely down to diet culture making us think that it, you know, there's a kind of narrative that fitness will solve all your problems. And, you know, if if you eat the perfect diet, then nothing bad will happen to you. And whether that's been, Mm -hmm. you know, fear mongering from, um, you know, certain professionals who I think some people are like, could argue if they're professional or not saying like, you know, you just need to eat this perfect diet and you won't get coronavirus. So you're like, well, that's absolutely untrue. Uh Um, but it's this sense of, you know, if we just do it how everyone says we'll do it, then we'll be, um, we'll be immortal in a sense. I think mm-hmm. like on a, on a bigger sense, it's like, then we'll, and you know, that can happen. Yeah. And you'll be a better person and everybody mm. will love you and you will find love. Cause that's another thing. It's always tied to this idea of finding a mm. partner as well. Right. Mm. So we want to be loved. We want to be in a relationship and you're only going to find this happiness and you're only going to find this love if you eat this way or if you work out this way and if your body looks this way. Otherwise look at the before pictures, look at how miserable they look. This could be mm. your life if you don't take care of yourself. And it's very much again, tied to that human need of belonging having care and being shown love by others. So we Mm. all want that. And we've learned and we've seen through our culture that people who look a certain way, people who eat a certain way, people who have this aesthetic receive the love while others don't. And that's what's unfair about it. That's an unfair thing because it shouldn't be that way. And um, I think that's what, that's where, you know, more of the activism comes into play and the mm-hmm. social justice work in this conversation because it's like why do people people do seem to get a certain response to looking a certain way they do seem to get more opportunities and like that's unfair that shouldn't mm-hmm. be the case and right you know we should be pushing for that to not be the case and you know having yes. everybody included and definitely and we know that that's not the case we know mm. that you know it's just it's not what gets highlighted right mm. we only see these stories we only see these kinds of images but it's not everybody looks that way and not everybody's having these kinds of lives but we know that there's people 
that are happy in larger bodies. We know that there's people who are fat and happy, but we don't see it, Mm. right? So how could we know that these realities exist if there is a complete lack of visibility to those narratives and to those stories? Absolutely. Now, um, penultimate point I wanted to ask you was about, and it's maybe slightly related, but also unrelated, but I was just so fascinated by your post, I had to ask you about it. Sure. You did a post, and I just want to pull up the quote so I get it right. Um, and it was about the limiting beliefs. So mm-hmm. I want to ask about. So um, you wrote, deeply painful experiences and unhealed wounds are not limiting beliefs. They are unprocessed traumas. And, you know, I've heard a lot of the term limiting beliefs and kind of, you know, whether it's been in the kind of like self-development space or whether it's been um, for more of like personal trainer coaches trying to get clients to, you know, follow their plan or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about limiting beliefs and I just want, I would love you to explain what they are and why things aren't as clear cut as they seem for everyone. Yeah. So limiting beliefs, as the phrase pretty much explains, is this idea or this belief system that you create that limits your projection into the things that you can or cannot do. So essentially, growing up, we had these certain experiences. Growing up, we were told by our parents or caretakers, this is what you can and what you can't do. This is what you can achieve. If we had very supportive upbringings and very supportive experiences, chances are that we will have a higher sense of self-esteem, a higher sense of self-worth, and we're more than likely to think that we can do a lot of the things that we have set forth for ourselves. So that means, yes, I can run for class body president because I can't achieve it. Yes, I can get the job that I want because I've seen myself succeed in so many things. So why can't just this, this just be another example of that, right? So if, if we've had very positive experiences, we've had evidence throughout our lives that showcase that we're capable and that we're able, right? Mm. The flip side of that is we've had very difficult childhoods where our parents or our caretakers were abusive to us, or we've had bullying issues, or we, because of the size of our bodies, were told that we couldn't achieve this or that we couldn't achieve that. So limiting beliefs as it is defined by pop psychology is this idea that you have a limiting belief and it is up to you and your responsibility to change that about yourself. So whatever idea that you have that is negative, that's just a limiting belief. Change that and then you can in turn change your life, right? So it's very superficial, it's very basic and it almost places the blame on the person. So saying, if you have this limiting belief, it's up to you to change it. And if you don't change it, then that's your fault, right? You are your own worst critic, you are your own problem, and you are the only one responsible for you not achieving the great and amazing Mm -hmm. things that this world has to offer. So in my opinion, it's very shaming. It comes from this, again, all the responsibility is yours. And while I'm a huge believer in this resilience and this, you need to take responsibility for your own actions, we also have to understand trauma and we have to understand how our experiences shaped us and how they got us to the point where we don't believe in ourselves, where we don't Mm. believe that we can do anything 
that has, you know, been placed in front of us. No, I, I can't run that mile because my body can't take it because I've been told this whole time that I'm over this weight and I can't run it. Right. You know, like there's so many limiting beliefs that aren't even ours. They've just been passed down from our family. They've been passed down from our teachers as well. That's another thing that we, we learn upon. And so I think that it's very dismissive to tell somebody that's just a limiting belief and change it through mm -hmm. positive psychology and positive thinking, then saying, okay, well, let's look at where this belief came from. Where's the root? of this? Where did you start to learn that you weren't good enough? Where did you start to believe these things about yourself? And when you start to deconstruct that, then you can kind of see, okay, well, it makes sense that I don't have this belief in myself because nobody's ever really believed in myself or, or, or in me, right? I didn't have support. I didn't have any of these things. That doesn't mean that I can't create them for myself, but it's not so much as a limiting belief as it is an experience and a way of living that have gotten me to where I am today. And so I can understand these things, I can deconstruct them, and I can move and I can move forward without having to place that shame upon myself and say that it's just my fault for not living the life that I want. Mm. So I think it's important that we get to the core without being dismissive to ourselves, without dismissing our experiences and how we got to, to where we got and why we believe these things about ourselves. And what you've said about um, limiting beliefs and how it can be quite shaming, I also think it's quite a privileged thing to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like we said, particularly with conversations around racism and stuff, I think it's quite like a yes. white privileged thing to say, to be like, yeah, like, you can achieve anything you want. And like, I've certainly said that about myself, you know, like I can, I've certainly believed I can do anything I set my mind to, but that's because, you know, I can look around and I see people that look like me. I see people like me in positions, um, whether it's positions of power or within, um, with great influence. So of course I think I can do it because it's not that ridiculous to think I can do it. But I think for people who do not see themselves represented in, you know, in positions of power, in just, in you know whether it's like the mainstream whatever mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. that that is going to be totally understandable that you might think oh mate you might doubt yourself you know right. like that's yes. understandable totally and those experiences going back to that right so it's so I wasn't chosen for that job not because I wasn't qualified enough but because there's racism or there's prejudice mm. right so I have all these amazing qualities I have done all the work and I'm still not getting any of the jobs that I have been prepared for and that has nothing to do with me that has to do with a system it has to do with things that have been in place before me that do not give equal opportunity to everybody so that's something that is thank you so much for bringing that up because I I talk about it in the post, so like in the comments mm. of it, this idea of it's not just about us. It's not just about our head. It is about how, other inter how others interact with us, how our system is interacting with us as well, and how the majority of these systems are very much ableist. They are racist. They are classes. And, you know, there's so many things that have been built to work for a certain group of people mm. there's privilege in that and it has come at a detriment to other other groups especially black and indigenous and people of color i am a latina and i see how other latinas struggle who are not white 
uh, you know, I'm very light skinned and, you know, I have a very different treatment also the way that I speak mostly without an accent, right? I, I came to the United States when I was very young. And so I don't get any sort of discrimination for that. But that's not the same for my fellow Latina counselors and therapists who didn't have that experience. There is discrimination and they probably wouldn't, you know, be up for certain jobs that I would be because I passed off as white. Mm. So all those things are there. And to just say, oh, it's your limiting belief that is not allowing you to achieve that job is such a privileged thing to say because it's yeah. not just that it's not just my own limital limiting mind frame at all mm, yeah and I think that's really important to say and I think even in the context of like the health and fitness conversation and I think you know in the UK particularly like big fitness voices will be like you know just do this workout just do this and I think sometimes we miss the mark that firstly we know that like so many factors going to like health and into your health and there's the social determinants of health and you know I hope to do a podcast on that so we can like really lay that out clearly but um I think you know often we just say like just do this just automatically do this and everything will be fixed and I think it's really important that we start to think of like the bigger picture for people and we're desperate to simplify you know reasons to to not do things or to do things if you just do this um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for some people it's not simple it's very complicated and it's important to honor and respect that comp you know that it is complicated and yeah yeah it and it's so be... layered it's so layered there's mm. so there is no just this one thing that is going to change things for you especially mm. you know when it comes to your nutrition or when it comes to your mental health it's all it's all layered. It's all this holistic, mm. we're whole people, right? As we were talking about your emotions, we're not just this happy person. We are also that shadow, dark sadness self. When it comes to our health, we're not just our nutrition. We are our exercise. We are our mental health. We are having fair opportunities in the world. You know, there's so many things that, that are layered and that encompass who we are as individuals and diet culture loves to simplify it and say, mm just do this and here's the guide and the step-by-step -step thing that you need to do and it's so disappointing for the majority of us when we find that that's not what life is really like at all so let's um wrap this up then it's the train happy podcast we you know we talk about intuitive movement which we kind of haven't kind of spoken about that much today but we'll have to have you <laughs> okay. back we'll have, i've loved yes. i've loved this conversation so we'll have to have you back but Definitely. um I would love to know if there's been a recent train happy moment for you where you've honored your body, whether that be through movement or something else where you've, cause train happy moment is really about just like honoring and listening to your body and building that, building the, the trust and strengthening that connection. So I wondered if you had a recent moment you could share with us. Yeah. So, oh man, I love dancing, mm. but I'm terrible at it or at least like, coordinated choreographed dancing I always find it so beautiful I, I've seen you do your TikToks like, like your things and I was like oh I really want to do this and it's something that I really enjoy but I'm terrible and so my inner workings are if you're terrible at something don't do it you know don't make a fool out of yourself don't go there but it's so weird because I really enjoy it so I see it I like it and I enjoy it and so about three days ago there was one of these online classes that was coordinated 
dance cardio or something like that. And I was thinking, I can't do this. I'm just going to make a fool out of myself. So I'm not going to do it. And then I woke up and I said, no, I'm not going to be great at it, but I'm going to enjoy it. And Mm. it's something that I like and I'm going to try it. And it was better than I thought, you know, so I, I did my little choreography the best that I could but I genuinely enjoyed it right there was at no point was I thinking about well how many calories am I burning right or is this going to somehow benefit my muscle tone because that's another thing that I would not have worked out unless there was a clear process of my fitness reaching a certain level or a certain point, right? There's always like, Mm. there's a purpose to this. And so kind of not finding any purpose to working out, except just having fun and enjoying myself and moving my body and doing something that I enjoy. That was my latest train happy moment, doing something that one, I wasn't very good at, but that I enjoyed without thinking about calories without thinking about muscle definition or how much I was sweating and just fully enjoying myself and my body in that moment. I think that is a like perfect example of a train happy moment. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel like we could talk all day and we could. <laughs> we'll, have to do a part, we'll have to do a part two if you'll come back. But um, it's yes. been an absolute pleasure. Maria, where can people find you, find your work and um, learn more from you? Yes, so I am on Instagram at Holistically Grace. I also have my website. I do online nutritional coaching. I post a lot of stuff on Instagram and I need to do a lot more stuff. But again, coronavirus has taken its toll on my creativity. So right now I'm just taking it easy and emotionally processing and allowing whatever this moment is to just be. So at some point I will be doing more. (laughs) Oh wait, I have a podcast. You do? (laughs) (laughs) It's called Mind Meets Body and I need to get on that as well. But yes, Mind Meets Body and you were on it as well. So if you want to come listen to Tali, talk to me. then The reverse. (laughs) The reverse, yes. And yeah, I think that's it. Um, like I said, Maria is one of my favourite people to follow and I'm so glad we connected last year. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And remember, if you do enjoy this episode, use the hashtag train happy podcast and tag us at train happy podcast. We'd love to see you when you're listening. Um, thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.